Hey, you are tuned into the Bold Church podcast. My name is Yasmin Ruhi. I am one of the lead pastors here. We're so excited that you can join us for today's talk. We hope it blesses you. We hope it encourages you. And if you find it useful, go ahead and send it to someone else whose day you can bless. If you want to join us, we meet live every Sunday morning. If you want to find out our times or where we're meeting, head to our website at bold.church or head to our Instagram at boldchurch. SV. Thank you so much and enjoy today's talk. Good morning. Who is excited for church? Come on. Wow. No one had coffee this morning, apparently. It's, it's week eight of the NFL fantasy football season. A little bit more excitement. Come on. Who's excited for church? Woo! If we have not met, my name is Ali, and we are, I'm going to jump right in. We are on a collection of talks called uh, We Are Bold. Because bold is not where you go, it's, it's who we are. And um, I'm going to do something different. If you notice, for those of you that call this place home, I only bring this out when I'm about to preach something heavy. Because there are times when you preach and people throw parades for you, we love you. And then there are times where people want to throw tomatoes at you. <laughs> and so I'm prepared for whatever you want to throw. And um, uh, I'm going to show you some pictures and help you understand what Christianity is all about. If I were to ask you what is our, our greatest problem, what would be your answer? And the problem with that question is it depends on who you ask. You're going to get different answers. Let me show you this first picture. This is a, a, the largest uh, human rights uh, m- march in America. It's the BLM. If you ask them what is our country's greatest problem, they would say racism. And they would use metaphors of, of this is heaven, this is hell. Heaven is, is a world where we're not judged by the color of our skin where every man is treated equally, hell is, is this toxic, systemic racism. Are you following along? Yeah. Next picture. This is Greta Thornburg. I couldn't find a picture where she's smiling. Apparently, she's always angry, okay? Yeah, she's this 19-year-old evangelist for what she thinks is the greatest problem in the world, and not, if not America. It's the world is dying. It, we need to go green. We need to lower the carbon footprint because we're killing the planet. Heaven is a place where we, the world is sustainable. Hell is uh, a world where everyone drives diesel trucks, apparently. It continues. This is the, the, the third largest uh, march in America. This is the day after. It's a picture of the day after Donald Trump was inaugurated. Uh, three or four million feminists marched in Washington because they're, they're angry. They're upset. Rightfully so, that women are not treated properly, that they were disrespected. Feminism is heaven. Hell is toxic masculinity. Are you uncomfortable yet? Come on. Uh, this next picture, I'm just going to go out there. This is uh, uh, the, the, one of the fourth largest protests in American history. This is March for Life. This was organized by parents whose children were killed in high schools. Uh, they, they're tired of their children dying ceaselessly. Not on some foreign soul fighting for some war, but studying for math. And heaven is where we have gun control, and hell is where an 18-year-old can buy an AR-15. Uh, because this is a heavy sermon, I need to make you laugh a little bit. One more hard one than two good ones. This next picture is the, the head of the Federal Reserve. He's the chairman. And for him, heaven is a, a growing GDP, where jobs are growing, and hell is inflation. And he's and everyone is using these metaphors because everyone thinks there's a problem in our country and they each have a different solution. Now for something light. If you ask this next guy, he's the world's greatest evangelist for working out. This is Richard Simmons. 
Hell is being fat and overweight and out of shape. Hell, a heaven apparently is sweating to the 80s, okay? The next one, this is heaven for me. This is LeBron James. Because the Lakers are 0-5, okay? And if you're a Lakers fan, this is hell for you, but it's heaven for me. And that's my point. Depending on who you ask, everyone has a different solution. What's our greatest problem? There's another guy I want to introduce you to. This is our last picture. If he looks a little bit different, this is TRT Jesus, okay? He has low energy. Doctors prescribed him testosterone replacement therapy. Helped him do ministry. Some of you are nervously laughing because you're on it too. It's okay. I'm telling you, there's not a lot of jokes today. uh, Enjoy them while they last. This is God who became a man. And he sees the world very differently in the way that you and I do. And and he says, man, the, the solution is so great, you can't bring it about. I have to leave heaven to come to earth. And Jesus became a virgin, born of a virgin, lived a sinless and perfect life. And if you were to ask him, what is the greatest problem in the world? Is it, is it economic? Is it financial? Is it, is it, is it racism? Is it feminism? And these are all good things that we should fight for, but it's not the greatest. And the greatest is, is this, is, is that sin is our greatest problem. And uh, one time they, they, they asked Jesus, because they didn't understand why he came, why, why are you hanging out with those people? He says, because I didn't come for the healthy came for the sick, and Richard Simmons was like, I knew he was here to help us work out. And then they brought sick people to Jesus, and they all expected him to heal him. And he said, your sins are forgiven. Because Jesus wants to teach us that it's not a physical problem. That's our greatest problem. It's a spiritual one. And the solution that he brought reveals how to solve it. God didn't bring I wrote down, God didn't send a philosopher. God didn't send an environmentalist. God didn't send an economist. God didn't send a nutritionist. God didn't send a political activist. God sent a savior. And saviors rescue you from sin. 2 Peter 3 says this, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has Since the beginning of creation, jumping down to verse 8, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the day, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient. Someone say he's patient. I'm so grateful and thankful for a patient God. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If Jesus really thinks that sin is our greatest problem, then I have to ask this question. What happens to us after physical death if we don't have faith in Jesus? Let me tell you why that question is uncomfortable. Because it's Silicon Valley. It's the most unchurched region in the entire country. I'm told as a pastor, unwritten rule, don't talk about money, don't talk about politics, and definitely don't talk about hell. And there's this unwritten rule. If you want to grow your church, you don't touch that subject. I remember I was a kid in the 80s, which is the greatest generation, by the way. If you're born before the 80s, you're old. If you're born afterwards, you're privileged, you're entitled. (laughs) It's just how we see the world. And as a kid growing up, I I literally couldn't say the word hell in elementary school. The teachers would correct, we don't cuss in the classroom. 
And then something shifted. We became a little bit more prideful in high school. And whenever we saw something or encountered something we didn't like, we'd say, oh, hell no. Right? We'd say, oh, and it just became part of our, oh, hell no. And then some of you, you drive this way. When someone cuts you off or they're going slow in the fast lane, it's like, WTH, what the hell? Isn't it funny this word that we avoid in church is so permeated in our culture? And Jesus thinks it's so big that he was willing to die for it. And if hell is real and it's forever, then I need to tell you about one of our core values is why we exist and why we do everything that we do in this church. It's that people are our priority. People are our priority. I'm going to pray because I need help preaching a very heavy sermon. If you want to throw something, give me a warning. Let me pray. Thank you, Jesus, for today. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for your patience. God, it was your goodness and kindness that led me to repentance. God, there's a room full of people that are so grateful that you've been patient with us. God, reveal this hard and heavy truth to us. We want to leave this room looking more like you, talking more like you. And if you believe that everybody said, Amen. everybody said, just tradition at Bold Church. We get a little bit rowdy before. Can we just give Jesus a round of applause? Come on. I have a group of friends, and we call ourselves the tree group. Because uh, in high school, we hung out literally by a tree. Um, uh, very creative, I know. Uh, what's interesting, though, is that it's been like almost 30 years, like 25 years that we've been friends uh, ever since middle school, we, we got to know each other. In high school, we got to become very close. And then in college, we became bros, drinking bros. And something shifts when you drink with someone. Their guards come down. You confess your heart. And I was, I'm just telling you, I was the, the organizer of all the debauchery. <laughs> I would watch movies like Boys in the Hood. And my guys, we're going to the liquor store and buying 40s, okay? <laughs> and then, then we watch... Uh, yeah, crazy. We watch other movies. We're like, guys, the hip-hop evangelists are talking about gin and juice. We're trying that tonight, okay? And I was the guy that organized all the craziness. And then something crazy happened. I accepted Christ. And on Friday nights, instead of being in the bars and clubs with my friends, I was at Barnes & Noble reading about Jesus. It's like a light switch went off. And I, I thought, my friends are going to love this new version of me Little did I realize they were actually very upset. And they began to have conversations about my conversion and my faith transitioning. And I used to be the party guy. Now I'm the Jesus guy. Used to be the one, you know, let's bottoms up. And now I'm like, let's throw our hands up and worship kind of thing. Um, and I remember one night they, they all had a long conversation um, about my faith. And they, they asked this question. Now that Ali's a Christian, does he think we're all going to hell? And I wrote the question down like this. Why would a loving God send people to hell? That, that was the essence of their question. Who is this God that you follow? If he's supposed to be good, he's supposed to be loving. First off, why would he create a place that's so like evil and bad? And then why would he send people there? You got to realize if, if God is real and he wants to rescue us as a savior, then you got to realize the devil is just as real. And he, he hates God. And, and he hates his children, too. And I, I began to think and strategize. If, if I was the enemy of God, it got me thinking, what would the devil think? How would he act? How he might use the idea of hell, listen, 
or the lack of it to neutralize Christians? How, how is the devil, maybe if he could convince you that it's, it's not that serious, then you, then you would do a couple of things. You justify sin, you live without fear of God, you live ridiculously self-centered, selfish lives, craving comfort, rejecting sacrifice, and avoiding persecution because you love the things of this world and the things of God. Or he would convince you that it's not real. And then you'd, you'd be completely neutralizing your urgency to share your faith. If, if hell was not real, then Satan has done his job. And yet, Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about any other subject other than money. He talked more about hell than he did about heaven. And of all the, the people in the Bible that, whose words are recorded, no one spoke more about this place than Jesus himself. So you got to deny Jesus to deny this location. And, and it's hard for us to hear that. And what I want to point out is sometimes when we, when we think about hell, my, I don't know about you, but my brain goes to like, you ever go to like San Francisco or like New York City, and there's always that one dude who you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's on our team. He's, like, he's got the bullhorn, he's got the sign, turn or burn. He's like, you holding her hand. Are you married? And it's like, I didn't hear him. I'm going to keep walking and... And we think that's Jesus calling you out. And let me tell you, Jesus never spoke about hell to people who were not Christian. He preached hell in church to people who were spiritual to make them more spiritual. Because he wanted to speak to people who were, listen, passionless, missionless, and selfish to get on the mission of God. So if you're not a believer here, you can just ignore me until the very five, last five minutes because this talk is for those who claim to know Jesus. Because Romans 2 says it's the goodness and the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. Let me read you this verse in Matthew chapter 5. It says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out woo, and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go to hell. Obviously, Jesus is speaking in hyperbole, right? He doesn't literally want me to gouge my eyes out. If that was the case, there'd be a bunch of dudes who watch porn with patches over their eyes, right? They, all the porn watchers would be in the left, right back in porn? Yeah, I know, right? That, that's obviously not the case here. And in the back corner, there'd be guys with double <laughs> Lakers fans over there. They'd... That's not the case, though. He's speaking metaphor in hyperbole. Let nothing separate you from me, because you don't want to go there. And the word that he uses for hell, and the Spanish word of the day, I hope I get it right, inferno, infierno, is the Greek word Gehenna. Someone say Gehenna. What's so interesting about this word that Jesus uses, it's actually a literal place in Jerusalem. If you look at a map of Jerusalem, the southern part of Jerusalem, there's this valley called the, the Valley of Ben-Haman. I'm going to show you a picture of it right here. I want you to see a few things. There, there's a valley with nothing, and then a, a bunch of homes and businesses, and there's a valley that's apparently vacant. And why is that the case? I'll explain that in a moment. But I need to tell you, uh, 
Several centuries before Jesus came, there was a king of Israel named Ahaz. And this man did not worship God, did not love God. He worshiped a false god named Molech. And Molech promised blessing, promised rain, promised crops, but he required a sacrifice. Sacrifice was expensive, though. Look at this picture. He wanted your children. And if you gave him your child, he'd give you rain. And the Israelites did this. And it says in Jeremiah, they have high, they have built the high places in Topeth and the valley of Ben-Haman to burn their sons and daughters in the fire. Something I did not command, nor did it enter my mind. God never wanted this. But where do you dump those bodies? They dumped them in that valley. Where do you dump criminals that you execute? You dump them in that valley. We have San Jose trash. They have the valley of Ben-Haman. And they would set these dead bodies, this trash, on fire. It was this place that the fire was constantly burning. It was a place that smelled terrible. No one went there. No one wanted to go near it. And it was literally known as the land of no more. The land of no more joy. The land of no more peace. The land of no more laughter. The land of no more friendships. The land of no more beauty. The land of no more chances. The valley of Ben. Haman. And it's so crazy. Why would a good God send people there? Heaven in its essence is the presence of God. And hell is the absence of his presence. And that's what that valley represented to the mind of every Israelite who heard Jesus say the words, Gehenna. Gehenna. And what's crazy is that for us, it's a challenge. Why would God send anybody there? Doesn't he love us? Doesn't he have plans to bless us and prosper us? Why would a loving God create a hell and then send people there? Well, I want to tell you two reasons biblically why it does it why he does it. And I want you to write this down because this will help you. Number one, hell exists for God to righteously punish Satan. It's not for you. It was never for you. It was for him. And the problem is that when we think about Satan, our mind goes to the, the images of cartoons, this little tiny little four-inch dude who sits on our shoulders, right? Red leotard, under armor. He's got a tail, got a broom, and he's just whispering in your ears, go to a Lakers game smoke this, do this, and he's, his whole goal is to smile and tempt you, and nothing could be further from the truth, and our culture right now is fascinated with serial killers. Long before Netflix had the, the Jeffrey Dahmer series, NPR had serial, right? And there's, our, our culture is fat, oh my gosh, he killed, raped, and it's like, let me tell you, those people, as evil as they are, they are all influenced by a demonic spirit. He's the embodiment of evil. He, behind every addiction is our spiritual enemy. Behind every abuse, physical, verbal, or sexual, you'll find the prince of darkness. Anytime you're afraid and anxious, there you'll find Satan trying to give you a spirit of fear. Anytime you feel shame and condemnation, the prince of darkness is there to drive you away from God. Who is he? According to the scriptures, he is the destroyer, the deceiver. He is the dark angel. He is the accuser, the tempter, the wicked one, the father of all lies. He is the one who comes to steal your joy and destroy your faith. He wants to kill your marriage, your family, and your kids. That's the devil. And Satan, God created hell to throw him there. 
It was never created for you and me. And that's why when I read verses like Revelation chapter 20, it gives me joy. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. All the evil, all the injustice of every country, every civilization, one day there will be justice that God will bring. And Satan will be punished. Is it fair for Satan to go? Heck yes, it's fair. But I'm about to tell you something that's going to make you uncomfortable. I'm going to challenge you because your whole life, you're a snowflake. You, you, you played sports and you got a trophy for coming in eighth place. And I'm telling you, there's not a lot of jokes, but that's a good one. And, and, and our culture tells you, oh my gosh, God just loves you. Oh my God. Just do you, boo-boo. And we don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to worship a God who judges and punishes sin. We want a God who will let us do what we want, smoke what we want, watch what we want. And yet, this scripture, this thought challenges us as Americans. Number one, Satan. God created hell to righteously punish Satan. Number two, it's this. Hell exists for God to righteously punish evil. And that's where the tension starts happening. How can a holy God not handle sin? If the most righteous judge on earth will never let you off, if God is the king of kings and, to paraphrase, judge of judges, he's more honest, more faithful than any earthly judge, that means he can't overlook it. Let me read you this verse that, is very challenging for us to read. Second Thessalonians 1, he will punish those who do not know God. Let me read that again because that one's heavy. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with temporary, everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. If hell isn't real, then Jesus' death on a cross was pointless. People ask, well, why? Why did he? Man, he, our greatest problem is not financial. It's not economic. It's not racial. It's not the suffering of women. It's not gun control. It's sin. And the cross only becomes beautiful when you see what he saved you from. Hey, we don't, if we don't understand and recognize the horrors of hell, we'll never truly appreciate the grace of the cross. Having been a pastor and teacher for 10 years, that there's always a point when it gets too heavy, people stop paying attention. So I need to pause for a moment and not change the subject, but just tell you a story. There's a story in the Luke, Gospel of Luke where Jesus, he taught often, almost always in parables, 40 different parables in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's this one time where Jesus tells what many think is a parable, but it's not. And the reason why it's not a parable is because he names the people in the story. He never does that. Because always he's trying to get the focus on the story, the theme. What is the, the parable trying to teach you? In this story, I didn't use the word parable. In this story, Jesus talks about real people. I titled this story, the, A Voice from Hell. Luke chapter 16 says this. There was a rich man who dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. It's really hard for me to explain how wealthy this dude is. The language we would use in our culture is he's dripping. He's dripping. He's got 
Gucci shoes on. He's got the Prada belt, the Hermes, you know, <laughs> purse, whatever you want to call it. He's, he's dripping. Because in that culture, no one owned anything of purple. One T-shirt of purple would cost a year's worth of food. This dude is so rich, he dressed in purple, implying every day. Like his dirty laundry could feed a city. This dude is dripping. And then in Luke chapter, continues, at the gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. Jesus never named anyone in his parables. But there's a dude named Lazarus. I think one day we will, if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll meet this guy. Covered in sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Let me give you a picture. I have two kids, a six-year-old and a four-year-old. The only time there's food under the table is when my four-year-old spills more food than she eats. <laughs> right? I think we've wasted more food than she's ate in the last four years, but that's the struggle of every parent. This dude is dripping with expense. He's not dropping food on the ground. How could you possibly eat enough crumbs to survive? And you need to understand what's happening. There's a, there's a, a um, there's this practice that very, very wealthy people in the days of Jesus would do. When they'd eat a meal, they eat, they would use their hands. Imagine this guy's eating meat, his hands are greasy. Then he'd grab a brand new loaf of bread. Instead of washing his hands with water and soap, he'd rub the bread in his hands to get the grease off. And all those crumbs would fall on the ground. And then he, they would throw those crumbs in the street for the dogs. And Lazarus was like, dude, I want some of that. That's how poor this guy is. A time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The man also died and was buried in Hades. Hades, the place of the dead, the place of punishment, where he was tormented, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And you see... There's two places, a place of joy with Abraham and a place of torment. And it continues. He basically, I'm going to skip down to verse 27. It says, help me get out. And Abraham says, no. And he answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not, will not also come to this place of torment. There are four spiritual truths that I I want to show you in this story, maybe help you understand why, why the reality of hell is something that God uses to motivate Christians. Number one is this, the rich man's eternity was, no, the rich man was fully conscious and aware. He, he had his memory. He was hurting and he had a ton of regret. Number two, it's this, the rich man's eternity was irrevocably fixed. He couldn't get out. He couldn't beg his way out. He couldn't pay his way out. He couldn't donate purple clothing to, to pay his he was fixed. It was a land of no more chances. Number three, it's this. The rich man knew his suffering was just. Not once does it record, hey, why am I here? This isn't fair. He doesn't complain about the unjust punishment. He knows he's supposed to be there, but his sh focus shifts. Look where all of his focus goes to. Number four, it's this. The rich man begged and pleaded for someone to help him, help his brothers know Christ. This man's begging. This man is pleading. This is literally a voice from hell saying, you don't want to come here. Go tell my family. Go tell my friends. Go, go even tell my enemies. Go tell no one wants to come here. And that's why this value on the screen, people are our priority. 
Why do we show up at 7 o'clock to set up this room to explain the gospel to people who are far from God? Why, why do we work so hard to share our faith with our friends, our family? Why do we pray and fast? There's, there are people in this room that fast almost every Sunday so that people who are new to church, they can hear the gospel, they can hear the message of Jesus and get saved. Why do we work so hard? Because hell is real and it's forever. And the reason why you're not in heaven right now is that means God has work for you to do. It's not to be awesome at Call of Duty, by the way. I know some butts went, ooh, for a second. I'm like, level 51, awesome. Did anyone get saved when you won last night? And the question I want to ask you is, who do, this is a, you ask God, God, who do I know? Who can I invite? Who's hurting? Who's lost? Who's confused? Who needs freedom? Who have you placed in my life that needs the transforming message of grace? And I'm the only one that can bring it to them. And this is a challenge for us because we hear this, we hear this guy begging to get out. And yet at the same time, we don't believe hell is real because I asked you a question. Why would a loving God send people to hell? Here's how you really ask the question. It's on the screen. Why would God send good people to hell? It went from a loving God and the focus on his goodness. And now the focus really in your heart, the, the, those that have objection is, I'm a really good person, Pastor Ali. Why would God send someone like me? That's the, that's the pushback. I'm going to say something not very popular. You're not going to like it. But the scripture says that none of us are good. Even Jesus says that no one is good but God. And the word for sin is actually an archer term. It's on the screen. It's armatia. It's, so imagine I have a bow and arrow, and I, I shoot the bow. And on the target, the center is what's called a bullseye. And that's the will of God in this analogy. And if I miss the bullseye, the distance is what's called sin. So let me give you another analogy. Imagine there's a ladder right here. And this, is, this explains my righteousness, my, my goodness before God. And I'm on the third rung because I'm, I'm pretty good. And Hitler's on the bottom and Mother Teresa's at the top. Who's closer to the sun? It doesn't really matter. Because it doesn't matter if you have a lot of sin or a little sin. Sin separates you from God. And the Bible says in Isaiah that when we bring our good works, our righteousness, it says it's a filthy rag before him. That's actually a really poor translation. When I was in seminary, this is going to make some of you upset. It's, it's literally your menstrual rags. When you try to stand before God and go, look how good I am, it's like holding out a, a dirty tampon to God. And God's like, dude, I, I can't. Romans chapter 3 says this, for all have sinned, all have armatia, and I'll fallen short of the glory of God. I love playing this game with people when they argue back that they're not sinful, that they're a really good person. I go, show of hands, everyone in this room, have you ever lied before? Have you ever lied? Okay, look around, see whose hand's not up. Those people are liars, okay? <laughs> Next question. Show of hands. Have you ever stolen anyone, anything? Okay, look, look around. Those are liars and thieves. Okay, this third question, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. If you want to communicate with me, just do your eyebrows. And I'll <laughs> Have you ever looked at another person lustfully? Because Jesus says it's not the act that's sin. That when you look at a, another person lustfully, you've committed sin in your heart. Even your thoughts. 
And sometimes we think, well, I didn't do anything bad. Sin is not just the, the bad that we did. It's also the good we didn't do. It's way bigger than you realize. And by your own admission, you're all liars, thieves, and adulterers. Welcome to church. I hope you come back next week, right? <laughs> but what's the good news? Anyone want good news? Come on, I need some good news. Romans chapter 5. But God demonstrates his own love for us while we were sinners, while we were in the club, while we were stealing, while we were lying, while we were spitting on God, while we were talking back. Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified, the the just God justifies us by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from, from God's wrath through him? Anybody thankful for Jesus this morning? Come on. Our greatest problem is not racism, feminism, gun control. All, all those things are good that we should fight for. It's sin. That's why Jesus came to die for sin. I wrote this thought like this. Maybe it will challenge you. For those of you that are, aren't in Christ, this is as close to hell as you will ever be. And for those of you that reject Christ, this is as close to heaven as you will ever be. Let me ask this question one more time. What happens to us after physical death if we don't have faith in Jesus? I remember June 15th, 2004 was the day I accepted Christ. I was 24 years old. My sister had been sharing her faith for, with me for two years, cussed her out a bunch of times, yelled at her, was angry. But she's the reason I be, not only became a Christian, but you're all the fruit of her. She didn't have the courage and the boldness to share her faith with me. I wouldn't be here. Something weird happened, though, after I accepted Christ. Within three months, I started becoming self-righteous, you know, prideful. Maybe you can relate. I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's so many evil people out there, God. Ugh. Ugh. Only we're, all the good guys are here, God. When are you coming back, God? Because I can't hang anymore. And I remember in the prayer closet, God asked me this question. Allie, when do you want me to come back? Ten years from now? I'm like, no, never. Or do you want me to come back on June 14th, 2004? I said, God, if you came back on June 14th, I, I wouldn't be a Christian. God is not slow as some think slowness is. But he's patient. Not wanting anyone to perish. God didn't take you to heaven because he wants to use you to share your faith with someone else. And I remember I was in seminary and I began to feel this weight from my high school friends that did not know Jesus. And I began to feel it and I began to invite them and pray for them, invite them to church. And I, salvation doesn't belong to me and you. We, we, we can't convert someone. But I'd rather have the pain of rejection than the pain of regret. And I remember I was 30 years old, and God put it on my heart to go to Iran. My mom has eight sisters and two brothers. Someone give them birth control. It's a lot of kids. Come on. And then all of them have like two or three kids. So I got like 21, 24 first cousins and a bunch of aunts and uncles. And none of them have ever heard about Jesus. I got two choices. Europe or go share my faith. Let's go 
party or do I want to go be an ambassador for Christ? Went to Iran, shared my faith. 28 of my 30 family members laughed at me, mocked me. But it's an honor to be mocked for Christ. Two of them received Christ. One of them, crazy, she actually had a dream two years before I came. She said, I've been waiting for you to come to America because two years ago I had a dream that you were going to come tell us about God. As much as you want your spouse, your friends, your uncles, your aunts to meet Jesus, God longs for it more. I'll never forget this one conversation I had with my uncle and my mom's oldest brother. And I went to his house for dinner one night and he had this big bookshelf. I'm like, man, you, you read so many books. Like, you're an avid reader. He goes, yeah. I'm like, okay, which one is your favorite book? And he pulls out the Quran, which is the religious text for Muslims. I'm like, he's like, have you ever read it? I'm like, I have. I'm like, have you ever read the Bible, though? And immediately he walked out the room. And we never spoke about faith again. Six months later, he passed away. But I tried. I can't save people. My question for you is, are you living for yourself? Because God uses hell not to scare us into faith. He talks about hells with those who are spiritual to make them even more spiritual. And if you're not telling your friends and your family, I just got to challenge you. Why not? I wrote down like this, when you spend time with Jesus, people, they become your priority. And when you don't care about your lost friends and family, what you're really revealing is that you're not spending time with Christ. Because when you spend time with him, he goes, what about this guy? Let's go talk to him. Let me read you our original text. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If I was the devil, I would convince you he's not real. And I'd convince you that hell is a place you don't need to worry about. You can live however you want. You justify sin. You live self-centered, selfish lives of comfort, not on mission, but for yourself. But when you spend time with Jesus, people become your priority. So the question I have for you this morning is on the screen. Who are you going to invite? God, place that family member, that friend, that coworker, maybe a neighbor in your life for a reason. He wants to partner with you. It's an adventure. It's scary, but it's worth it. If you can bow your heads and close your eyes. God, I'm grateful, Jesus, that you saw my greatest need, my greatest problem, and you came to be a solution to it. You didn't say, figure it out. Like a loving God. You came to become sin 
to die for it. This room is full of people, God, who have received your forgiveness and are so grateful. But God, you spoke a lot about this subject that we avoid in America. We don't like talking about it. We get uncomfortable. It's offensive to us. But God, you used it as a tool not to scare us, but to motivate us. God, let me see what life is truly all about. Let me have the urgency like that rich man to not stop praying, to not stop sharing my faith with those, even if they laugh. God, thank you that when I was gone, you came after me. There's some of you in this room that are not followers of Jesus. I want to talk to you for a moment. God loves you. God loves you with an everlasting love. God loves you so much, he was willing to suffer hell on a cross so that you would never have to go. He didn't create it for you. Politicians can't save you. Philosophy can't give you joy. There's a God named Jesus. And you were created to have a relationship with him. And if you've never prayed to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you want to, it would be my honor to help you pray that prayer. With every eye closed and every head bowed, I want to pray this prayer. Just pray with, thank you, Jesus, that you left heaven to die on a cross for me. My greatest problem was sin. And you suffered death for my sin. I repent. I turn from my lifestyle. And I come towards you. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for a second chance. Thank you for your love and kindness and patience with me. On the count of three, I want to help some of you take your next step. If that was you this morning and you prayed that simple prayer, we would love to celebrate with you. On the count of three with every head bowed and every eye closed, and I want you to shoot your hand up and say, Pastor, that was me. I prayed that prayer. You're not saying yes to me. You're not saying yes to this church. You said yes to Jesus. On the count of three, one, two, Three, if that was you this morning, just shoot your hand up. Amen. I see your hand. I see your hand. You can put it down. Can we give it up, church, for the hands that went up? Come on. I want to take you, help you take your next step. Something really cool is happening right after service. Baptisms. Baptisms. And one of the things that we love to do is help people take their first step of obedience towards Jesus. If you've never been baptized... Listen, we do spontaneous baptisms here. What's that mean, Pastor? We got t-shirts and clothes ready for you. Don't let the fear of being wet hold you back from saying yes to Jesus. For those of you that have been coming for a while, your next step is growth track. It's time to get in on the mission of God. We, we, we gather as a church to worship Him. The purpose of the church is to bring glory to Him 
to equip the saints, but then to reach the lost. And a church, Christian without a church is an orphan without a family. Come on, let's get on mission. I want to end with our giving moment. God, we're so grateful that every good gift is from above. God, you gave the greatest gift, your son Jesus, to die on a cross for our sin. Thank you, Jesus, for your patience. Thank you, God, for a second chance. Thank God for your love and your mercy. We're grateful. And everybody said, amen. Hey, thanks again for leaning in today and listening. We hope the message was able to empower you and encourage you. Go ahead and send it to someone so you can bless their day as well. And we'll see you soon.